0: Welcome to Parents Just Don't Understand, a podcast about children's media, parenting, and the nature of childhood. I am your host, Denise Schiller.
1: And I'm Kurt, the other Schiller.
0: Thank you so much to everyone listening. We've reached just over a hundred listens, which feels pretty incredible to me. If you'd like to talk more about any of the topics we discuss or topics we haven't, please consider joining our PJDU listeners group on Facebook. The password is PUPFood.
1: Yeah, the the response has been really cool. um, And frankly, kind of overwhelming. We've been really, really excited to get so much positive feedback from people. And we're really happy that people seem to be enjoying it. So uh, thank you so much for listening to the first episode. And thank you so much for joining us again for episode number two, which I think is going to be pretty cool, right, Denise?
0: Absolutely.
1: So, uh, whereas in our first episode, we kind of just did a breakdown of some of the shows that we were watching in our household with our kids, this time we decided to pick a specific individual show and do a deep dive on it.
0: And no surprise to anyone, we kind of love this show. <laughs> yeah.
1: Before we get into the actual topic of the episode, though, we wanted to share some general news and facts and stuff about what's been going on in the Schiller household, uh, parenting-wise. We went to uh, a park over the weekend, uh, Smithville Park, actually, in South Jersey with my father, and it was really cool. Um, I really like taking the girls to parks. I feel like being in the outdoors was something that was very important to me when I was a kid, and so it's really fun getting to share that with them. And it's funny, actually, because... Our three-year-old is always really, really excited initially at the prospect of like walking around in the woods and she goes about 500 feet and then says, daddy, daddy, carry me, carry me. And you have to kind of negotiate like a settlement whereby she will walk on her own for either for some kind of a treat or for some set period of time uh, and hope that she kind of forgets about it and, and gets into it.
0: I usually go like, oh, let's find Mr. Squirrel, or oh, let's look for Mr. Spider, or let's, I don't know why they're all men, but, or (laughs) or, let's go chase that butterfly.
1: There there were a lot of butterflies there, and I know that we've been doing a bunch of butterfly stuff library book-wise, and so that was cool because she's very excited about the, the butterflies. She wants to chase them, and much like you know a a dog chasing a car I, I think hasn't figured out what she'll do once or if she catches a butterfly <laughs> uh, and so we've kind of had to advise her to you know make make sure that you're not actually catching the the butterfly. but this park was really cool because it had a it had a dam, kind of like a small waterfall thing. Denise, have you ever seen the movie Big Fish? Of course. so you know there's that phantom old timey town. Called Mm -hmm. Spectre in it, so Smithville used to be a factory town, and there's like a long main street surrounded by like old timey houses, and it literally looks like Spectre from Big Fish, and so it was really cool just kind of like walking through it because it was very much it just looks like a town, but it's but it was empty because we were there on on a Sunday afternoon.
0: Cool, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Um, I did not go. That's true. Yeah. similar to doing outdoor things with um with our daughter i am really passionate about libraries so i have been trying to uh, help instill that uh, passion and love for Books and reading and librarians and quiet spaces and all of that in uh, in our children. And we just happen to live near the most beautiful library that's like on the riverfront and it has big, wonderful windows and there's a beautiful green space right outside of it. And the library has actually they've been working to do more evening programs for the different patrons and they did a very specific butterfly program that I took Kayla to and they had live butterflies and it was awesome. And so then she wanted to check out, we checked out four very specific butterfly books and she was really disappointed to find out that, the Mrs. Merriweather does not work at that library, <laughs> but she made me ask all of the librarians what their names were, so that now we can say that, you know, Miss Eileen and Miss Lucy and Miss Amber all work at our library.
1: Which what book is Miss merriweather from?
0: The Lion at the Library. That's right.
1: Okay. Two things about that library. One, I remember when we first moved to the area, it's like on a hill. And the only thing you can (laughs) see when you're driving by on the outside is this like entryway, like vestibule that kind of sticks up in a little tiny glass building. And then the bulk of the library is actually like down the hill or kind of built into the side of the hill. Um, So it's really just like a staircase and uh, an elevator. And so I remember the first time we drove by, we were like,
0: what is this? A library for ants? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like you, you really you can't see it. And it's funny, Bill, because well, if you're <laughs> if you're it opens up onto the river, and if you're like in a boat, you know, it's it's a pretty decent sized library, but it's literally like camouflaged if you're if you're up on the hill and you can't see it. The other thing is, I, I'm so glad that they started doing more evening events, but I'm glad that they're doing like interactive evening stuff and c- cool stuff like that. It's really you know, go to your libraries, people. Libraries are are really great.
0: Yes, absolutely. I just wanna make sure that I'm supporting what they're doing when there are events I can go to. They're also doing this adult reading program that I've been putting all my submissions in for to win a free gift card. Yes. So um, so going more frequently just means I don't forget to turn in my like completed submission forms. Is it, is it like
1: <laughs> is it like grown up book it? You're gonna get like like a personal pizza at then?
0: <laughs> no, I probably won't get anything other than the satisfaction of writing my name and my phone number and the book that I finished reading on a tiny little sheet of paper <laughs> that I shove into a box.
1: <laughs> I'm a big believer in like engaging with the physical space that you're in with your kids and libraries are like usually very interesting buildings and have like interesting nooks and crannies and even just the act of kind of walking around in in the stacks. Uh, And looking at, like, old books can be very cool. We went Mm -hmm. to the Burlington County Branch Library, again, in in South Jersey a few months ago, and they have, like, a New Jersey room, which just has old historical documents about New Jersey and old maps and and local author books, and it's kind of tucked away in the back of the library. It's nothing particularly special. But also in there are, uh, what are they called, microfilm machines? Microfiche. Microfiche machines and... Even though there wasn't anything in the machine, Kayla was super into looking at it and just kind of. She liked that it made a noise and it kind of hummed and the the blowers mm-hmm. turned on. There's just there's just cool stuff and yeah. it's there and you know it tends to be a pretty calm, low key environment too.
0: I also wanted to uh, make sure that I was showing the girls that like myself reading books just because of the convenience. I tend to consume audiobooks and ebooks. I just, I don't know, I wanted to make sure that every once in a while they see me with a a physical actual book instead of, you know, my phone, which you can't always necessarily tell if someone is reading a book or not. Totally, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about one of the best children's cartoons currently in production, Netflix's Hilda.
1: So, uh, Cards on the Table, I absolutely love this show. This is... In my opinion, as you said, like, I feel like this is easily top three cartoons that are currently running and probably top three cartoons of the last, like, 10, 15 years. Um, And I I don't know. I'm just absolutely in love with this show, which I guess we should give a a short synopsis of. But, I I mean, it's it's so, so good. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so Hilda follows the adventures of a fearless, free-spirited young girl who travels through the wilderness to the city of Trollberg, encountering both magical creatures like trolls and water spirits, everyday challenges like making new friends, and standing up for what you believe in. It's based on a series of graphic novels by Luke Pearson.
1: Yeah, and we're we, we have the graphic novels. We've watched the show dozens and dozens of times with our three-year-old. Yeah,
0: dozens um, upon dozens. Yeah, I, I mean, it was actually
1: kind of hard to go back and revisit it to do this episode on, just because we've seen we've seen it so much that it can get hard to distinguish one episode of a show from the next, when you've seen it so often, because you just, you remember every single scene, and because kids, at least our kids, tend to want to binge- things you just kind of watch it and watch it and watch it and you stop paying attention to like this episode starts here and stops here yes so my my like one sentence pitch for hilda is that it's sort of like adventure time by way of a Miyazaki film
0: i was gonna say adventure time meets monsters of men because it has that very like Scandinavian, the like the music kind of reminds me of that band.
1: Oh yeah, totally. It has a very like folk, yeah, like, like indie folky. folk kind of rock. It's rocky, but yeah, the the music is one of the the most amazing things about this show. It actually, I mean, it's it is a kids' show. I I would say that the cartoon is probably designed for nine to 14 year olds somewhere it's probably the bang on demographic our three-year-old loves it and watched it all the time when she was two but the music in it is it's not just like kids music it's like grown-up music uh, and they use it in a way that really enhances the the experience so let's talk a little bit about the characters in the show. And then we can kind of break down a few of the the first couple episodes and kind of use that as a way to explore some of the themes and some of what we like and some of what we think makes it honestly, I I feel like it's also a very, a very emotionally educational show for kids. But we can we can we can kind of dig into that a little bit deeper as we go.
0: Mm -hmm. The show is titled after the main character Hilda. She is our blue haired heroine who is sweet and kind. And she's she loves animals and she's very curious and confident and
1: she's very like kind in the way that a child is kind too like she's a very realistically written I, I think she's supposed to be about about 10 years old, maybe 11 years old somewhere in, in in that vicinity. And when I say kind in the way that a child is kind, I mean almost like naively kind like kind and good just because they haven't yet, kind of complicated themselves emotionally, you know, as I think a lot of kids just kind of default to being good and nice. And I think that the show does a really good job of capturing that with with her character in particular.
0: I think it has to do with like the construct of the biases that we develop over time and that, uh, you know, children are young and new, so they haven't had the opportunity I guess Mm -hmm. to form those biases I don't know but yeah she's awesome I don't know I I love that in one scene she like saves an insect because if I see someone take a bug outside I'm gonna give them a high five and a thumbs up and they they get Denise points
1: (laughs) and so when the show begins Hilda is living in very familiar to her surroundings, her her, and her mom live out in kind of an isolated cabin out in the wilderness. And there's all these vaguely magical creatures. Some are magical creatures that are familiar, like elves and trolls. And and they're just kind of around in much the same way that like a bear or a deer is around. And there's also very adventure timey creatures like, like the wafts, which are these big dog looking furry balloon things just kind of float around and, and migrate like like little clouds. They in particular remind me of a Miyazaki character in particular. Oh,
0: I, I think that uh, I think that they're they're the geese. I I consider the wafts to be the geese. <laughs> yeah, and they, they do they they migrate and they
1: kind of hang out and they're timid about things. There's there's a couple episodes where something runs past the wafts and they take off and fly away. Uh, the the designs and the art style of the show are both like really charming Mm -hmm. um but what's cool about the character of hilda is that to her and this is something that the creator specifically mentioned luke pearson who created the graphic novel said that he wanted to capture the very matter-of-fact nature of the supernatural in old mythology where like in a modern book We make a big deal about when some element of the supernatural is introduced, like, oh, there's vampires, and everyone has to make a big deal about, oh, there's vampires. But in old mythology, it's just kind of presented like, oh, here's, yeah, vampires. Everyone knows that there's vampires. And Hilda does the same thing with these characters. And so she's grown up around trolls and elves and so on. And so she's not surprised by them. And for her, like, going out and exploring the woods, where she starts off, is just, like, kind of running around the neighborhood. And just like that, there's an element of danger, but it's, like, it's kid danger. It's real danger, which is something that I have to give the show props for, but it's not, like, blown-up, super hyperdramatic danger that, that would be off-putting to a kid. Yeah. So when the show begins, there's really only two other characters apart from Hilda. There's Hilda's pet deer fox which again a very miyazaki design it looks like a fox with like little antlers it it looks like something out of uh princess mononoke and then there's her mom whose name apparently is just mom and she is clearly a single mom which i know you had thoughts on on denise uh and she is she has a job she's a graphic designer of of some kind and seems to be doing like remote work or freelance work from from their cabin And she also is a very realistic adult, I think.
0: Yeah, my my thoughts on the the single parent attitude was just that it's never presented as... A bad thing or a different thing. It's just that's what her family looks like. And I I like and I appreciate that.
1: In a lot of shows where there is a single parent, it will be a plot point about where the other parent go, or it'll be like a big mystery or something. And I was really expecting that to happen. And it never does. It's just like, no, it's just her and her mom. I, I don't think they ever mention if she had a father, what happened to her father? Mm-hmm. It's just the way that she grew up and the way that they live. It's not seen as, to your point, it's not seen as a deficiency or something that needs an explanation. It's just right. like...
0: I like that it's it's very normalized and it's not even a talking point, really, because it's, you know, it's regular. It's what her family is her family. So. Right, and to
1: a kid, what's cool is to a kid, that is very much how your family is. Your family is just the the baseline until or unless someone tells you your family is different it's it's not it's it's literally the only family that you start off being aware of and the character of Hilda's mom mum I love how supportive she is mm-hmm. and I mean clearly she lives in a world with trolls and wafts and giants and stuff just like Hilda does but when Hilda, comes and tells her something about one of the various adventures that she's on. Like, oh, I met some elves. They're invisible. Don't worry. I need you to sign this document and then you'll be able to see them. (laughs) She doesn't ever, like, question her. There's never a point in the show where she really has to prove to her mom that she's telling the truth. Her mom is just, like, always supportive and, Mm -hmm. like, acknowledges her daughter as an independent person who has wants and needs. There's very little, like... That traditional Nickelodeon style parental conflict. Yeah. There's a there's a little bit, but it doesn't it doesn't play on She's, it as much.
0: I definitely think that mum is parent goals. Um, We were watching the other night, and there's a scene where mom offers Hilda a cup of tea, and our daughter adorably said, well, I don't like tea now, but when I'm older, I'll like tea. Yeah. (laughs) And I can have tea then. And it just was so heartwarming. And so, yes, it was... I don't know. I just... Uh, I really like that character.
1: I guess there is one other character who is introduced at the very beginning, and that's the Woodman. The Woodman, and again, a very Miyazaki type character. The Woodman is literally a little genderless dude. I mean, he's called the Woodman, and I'm calling him a he, but he's really he's just kind of a yeah. creature of some sort who's made of wood and has like he's sticks like a growing serious
0: Baby Groot.
1: Yes, yeah. It, it is funny though. I think his head just kind of like hovers above his body. I it I does, think in his design, of. and he has uh, just kind of a cylinder for a mouth that looks like a, a Zelda enemy. It's he's a, a very cute, neat little design, and it, it does show him eating at one point where he doesn't chew stuff. He just kind of he just kind of like sucks an apple into his his little mouth tube thing the other thing the thing i like about him though is he has a very deep and sonorous voice and you get to see the house that he lives in and it's a very like kind of like artsy frank lloyd wright looking house where Mm -hmm. he apparently hangs out and listens to like jazz music (laughs) He's a very sophisticated uh, uh androgynous supernatural wood wood creature
0: uh, who does not like to close doors No yeah and he's he's
1: introduced literally just like walking into their house and then he immediately starts complaining about it and they kind of treat him like, like a pest but also a friend and it's just kind of like oh the you let the woodman in uh
0: yeah. I was sort of thinking of him like um, like an indoor outdoor cat.
1: Later on in the show, Hilda does acquire a couple friends who kind of join her, her posse, her, her friend group. Um, and also encounters a couple supernatural, uh, buddies that we'll, we'll probably talk more about as we go through the episodes, but it's a deceptively low key show in structure. And Mm -hmm. there is, uh, unlike a lot of children's shows, there isn't a repetitive, structure to each episode. It's I mean it is designed for somewhat older kids, but it's a very kind of freeform uh plot style in the construction of the episode. Like you you mentioned Denise in our last episode that a lot of these kids shows have a very like almost mathematical formula of like set up, this thing happens, this thing happens. There's the same resolution each time. Everything resets. And Hill does not like that. It has it has a linear story that flows throughout the scene. It's just like 13 episodes or so and the, there's really a plot arc that flows throughout it. But at the same time, you can kind of just sit down and, for the most part, just watch an episode, which is which is good because uh, I'm sure anyone who has two- or three-year-olds will be able to identify this. Sometimes your kid just wants to watch one particular episode over and over and, and over again. <laughs> um,
0: yes. Um, well... While you're saying that there's no uh, mathematical formula, etc., I have deduced that I can accurately describe each episode using one five-letter word, so I'm going to just challenge myself to do that throughout the whole season and the next season <laughs> that's going to be released soon. Um,
1: yeah, so there there is a second season uh, coming, which I'm, I'm really excited for because... I feel like it'll be a nice reset because Hilda is not really in the rotation currently. We we kind of we kind of forced it back into the rotation so that we could watch a couple episodes <laughs> with uh, our three year old, and I, I mean also with our five month old. But she's not really taking anything in, uh, and w- we would get through like an episode and a half, and then and then we would get a request for like Paw Patrol or Yo Gabba Gabba or some some other show that is is in the rotation. I think it's coming back next fall, in the fall of twenty twenty. Uh... And so I, I I feel like that'll be that'll be good timing because she'll be like, oh man, she'll be like like a a total person by then. That'll be that'll be very different.
0: So, um, so the first two episodes are kind of like a crossover. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a two
1: parter intro mini movie almost. So the episodes are about twenty four minutes long. Uh,
0: Wait, can I say my five letter words?
1: Oh yeah, go for it.
0: So for episode. 1 and 2 the words are troll elves and giant
1: nice that's that's pretty much it yeah <laughs> um so Boom, so fourth yeah yeah thanks everyone I'm, I'm talk joking. to you next time <laughs> um so for the the first episode opens with what i suspect was probably the like the the pilot that they pitched to Netflix because it's about 6 minutes long or so and it is actually the plot of the first graphic novel condensed into like 5 or 6 minutes i mentioned before that we did pick up a couple of the graphic novels and we've been using them as bedtime reading and so it's been interesting to compare the two and i i I'll, i think we'll talk a little bit more about that after we go through a couple of the episodes but the first little pilot intro thing is i think really artistically audacious for a children's show because I I timed it, and there's really no dialogue for the first, like, two minutes or so of the show. There's uh, some really good soundtrack music, uh, and even the original music for this show is really, really good, and it has that same kind of, like, of Monsters and Men, indie folk, with a little bit of, like, Nintendo-y electronica, which I I love. Um, This this show, the nostalgia just, like, hit me straight in the face with it. Uh, And hilda goes exploring encounters a bunch of different supernatural creatures she encounters like a water spirit she sees the wafts flying and then she finds a troll who in like jrr tolkien style is has turned to stone during the day and is asleep and she starts sketching the troll and then she gets too into the sketching and winds up the, the troll winds up waking up and chasing her. Um And I I, I remember the first time I was watching this with Kayla, I was like, oh, am I going to have to bail out of this? Because it's kind of intense.
0: Yeah, you're right. It is kind of intense. And it definitely is one of those moments where you're like, wait, am I am I protecting her or am I harming her by like showing her this? Yeah. But the thing that surprises me is the things that about the series that I think are scary don't seem to bother our three-year-old. And I'm not exactly sure if that's because we've done such a good job of like <laughs> protecting her. And she knows that like there's, you know, not, to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why she's not afraid of it, but she's not. <laughs> so I actually have a
1: whole theory about that. Um I think that a lot of what we as adults or more accurately, me, like we as older children f- start to find scary are like cultural cues of things that we expect to be scary. Like, Perfect example. We went through a phase where The Nightmare Before Christmas was in popular rotation. And there's a ton of s- scary as heck stuff, or should be scary as heck for a three year old in that. And I remember in particular the main character, Jack Skellington. I explained to our daughter what a skeleton was. And she was like, oh, there's, like, what is this thing? I said, well, it's a skeleton. It's, like, your bones, they're they're inside you. I I, I kind of showed her where she has, you know, she can feel, like, on her elbow, like, here's a bone. It's, it's part of you. And she just went, oh, okay. So she didn't know that skeletons are supposed to be scary. And so she didn't react to it. There's some stuff where she picks up on the, like, emotional... Um, direction of a piece of media and and sh- it'll kind of rile her up and, and she'll, she'll, she'll feel scary because she's meant to feel scared. Um, but overall, I, I think that kids don't know they're supposed to be afraid of stuff until they've encountered it for the first time. Like an allergy. Like You have to encounter the thing a lot of times and then you develop the allergy to it. Like You have so to see me, the thing and think it's supposed to be scary and then so, you get scared.
0: So maybe we're peanut buttering her by like... <laughs> Like, um, by like slowly introducing the thing, um, to like build up her tolerance to when the eventuality of someone taking her to see Tremors, oh, that's not happening. <laughs> that happened to me. <laughs> I, I know, and it's funny because
1: that was also one of the first horror f- horror films that I saw, and actually for me revisiting Tremors was something that made me realize that a lot of horror films are really not that scary and are more just like 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 action
0: films because nope, I won't watch it.
1: It's it's a very funny movie and and but I did I did also go through a phase where I was terrified to walk on the ground like it wasn't because it was it was lava it was because of of the tremors were going to hear me walking. Um, I I also uh, went through a phase where I would only open when I was like six or seven, where I would only open doorknobs from the side, because I saw an (laughs) episode of MacGyver, where he got trapped in a murder house with filled with booby traps. And one of the booby traps was like a little needle that came out of the front of a doorknob when someone tried to leave the murder house. And like, in, like stabbed or injected the person who, who tried to open the doorknob. So there was like a couple weeks where I was terrified that if I went to open the doorknob, it might be booby trapped, and so I had to open it from from the side, like I, MacGyver did.
0: I mean, randomly, for some reason, I saw like the one episode of uh, X Files where the Thing lived in the porta potty, and it oh, yeah. definitely left an impression on me. I think that's called the Fluke Man. But
1: <laughs> anyway, so back to Hilda. Off um topic.
0: <laughs> one of the
1: things I do also think helps make it not scary is that it diffuses anything that's scary or terrifying in the show with a deeper understanding of like what's really going on. So in this kind of intro episode, the troll wakes up and starts chasing Hilda and oh they've they've tied a a bell around the troll's nose. So that if it wakes up and starts moving, they'll hear it. And so she's running away from this this troll, which is like a big kind of hulking stone monster. And you keep hearing the bell ringing, and she's running away from it. And this this sounds, as I'm describing it, very scary. Uh, and then it follows her all the way back home. And then she discovers that actually the troll is upset because of the bell. And and the The troll's arms can't reach the bell at the end of its nose, and it just needs help getting the bell off.
0: Mm -hmm. And then so then you can see her, you know, her empathy, because now she's she's upset with herself because she did something that made the troll feel bad. And then she's able to help the troll. And as a result, the troll gives her a gift.
1: Yeah, which is her her notebook now now covered in spit, which is pretty pretty cute. Um, and then the little intro thing ends with what I think is like the log line of the series, where she very much like looks out and says, "Well, that was pretty traumatic, but such is the life of an adventurer." Which actually is a direct line from, from the, the graphic novel, and that's yeah. literally how the graphic novel ends.
0: In the remainder of the episode, there are some mysterious things occurring. Uh, within the uh, Hilda and Mum household that they can't really describe. And these things, you know, you might sort of think that it's a, a specter or a ghost or something that's like knocking over picture frames and throwing flowers across the room and trashing the place and, um, and messing it all up. But it turns out that there is a small colony of... Invisible elves that you have to sign some paperwork so that you can be able to see them, and then that is their home is at the middle of this colony, and the elves have finally decided that they're they're done with the humans, and which they and, call big boots. They're done with the big boots, and they want to shoe them off of their uh, property.
1: Yeah, so so their house kind of comes under attack by these, like Denise said, these like invisible invaders which you don't you don't know who they are at first they they get a weird little tiny letter that's left outside their back door uh telling them that they have like 2 days to leave or whatever and then in the middle of the night yeah there's like weird poltergeist activity their couch gets flipped over Hilda winds up like chasing the elves away and then is approached by an elf named Alfer who who becomes like one of her friends throughout the series who kind of explains the situation tells her that oh there's this like invisible colony of elves and yeah introduces this the idea that the elves are like super bureaucratic and so everything has to be negotiated and contract signed like you're not allowed they're invisible because you're not allowed to see them because you haven't signed the necessary paperwork
0: and apparently they love paperwork and a plotline of a future episode is that the paperwork has to be signed in triplicate. And it it was signed in duplicate and not triplicate. And so therefore it was invalidated. So there are also like sticklers for the rules.
1: It establishes these like clear rules for the world of the elves. Contracts are really important. Anytime you sign a contract, it, it might literally alter reality. It might give you an ability to see or not see something. And it's also funny how like, Kind of stuck up and snobby the the elves are, where it turns out that it's all due to like a political campaign. Like there's a new mayor or there's there's a new prime minister who's promised to kick out Hilda and and her family.
0: Um, and and that was the platform that he used yes, to get elected to right. his position was to kick out the big boots.
1: And um so and while all this is going on. Uh, there's also these, these kind of, this kind of mysterious giant that keeps showing up and Hilda will see it briefly and it's, it's really absolutely massive, like as tall as a mountain. And she'll just kind of see it looking down at her and then she looks away and it's gone. And it's, it's not really explained for, for, for quite a while. And then I think towards the end of the first episode, she actually meets and talks to the giant who says that he's been waiting for someone. Um, it's, it's neat the way that the show, again and again gives like agency and personality to like pretty much every supernatural being, whether it's a troll or the giant, they're all, they all have like a persona and a personality.
0: Yeah. I feel like when we rewatch, it's not until maybe the third episode where you can sort of tell that, that the mother sees these mythical creatures too, because initially I had thought and I wondered if we were seeing things from Hilda's imaginary point of view but it comes to the, like, you know, the town that they're going to eventually live in is called Trollberg, and it was built in the middle of this land filled with trolls, but then they built this huge wall to keep the trolls out of the city.
1: The trolls form a kind of interesting recurring theme throughout the series, I think, where from the very first episode, they're portrayed as they're demonized by the humans, and especially by the adults. And Hilda kind of sees them as just like people who are different. And the show really goes out of its way to humanize the trolls and show that, you know, they have families, they are intelligent creatures, and it really suggests that they've kind of been done a raw deal by the humans who built Trollberg and kind of kicked the trolls out. And the grown-ups in Trollberg are very proud of this. And the show really goes out of its way to show that actually this is kind of not cool what the, the humans historically did to the trolls and is actually pretty unfair. And the fact that like they're terrified of the trolls like is because the trolls are kind of trying to come back to their own land that they were kicked out of. So it's, it's a very low key political, uh, commentary in a way on like colonization and well where does land come from and and what what happens to like w- why are there cities here and was there something here before the city that we're taking for granted and and like how do we how have we positioned it how do we think about the people who were here before there were cities here it's a very interesting angle that isn't it's it's never made super overt but i i, I do feel like it's there from from the very beginning
0: so that's the end of the first episode, really, because she she meets the giant. And then in episode two, she's sort of continuing uh, her journey to understand the complicated relationship that the elves have with her family that she didn't know even existed. Right.
1: Because her her mother says after after their house kind of gets attacked, her mother specifically says, like, oh, we might have to move to Trollberg. Um, if this keeps happening and so Hilda is really trying to save their house and come to some sort of a, a, a peace with the elves. Uh, yeah, I something I really liked from the second episode is what I suspect to be an overt never ending story and you you pointed this out. And the more I think about it, the more I think it's a direct reference to The never ending Story uh, where she's riding on one of the wafts and it plays this kind of like, like electronic music that and sounds just like ending Story. I wanted
0: her to like put her one arm in yeah. <laughs> the air and like go like, yeah, and that didn't happen, but in my head it did. She and her mom
1: take a trip into Trollberg in, in the second episode too. You get you actually get a closer look at the city, um, and what we discovered while doing the research for the show, the the show's setting, like the the physical look of it, is based on an area of Norway called Ada. And if you look up the municipality of Ada, the the picture on Wikipedia looks exactly like the opening title card of. The show where there's like a fjord and there's kind of these sloping mountains coming down and the the there's there's like a the is is I guess the water is the fjord comes right up to the mm-hmm. town and the town is like right down in it, it looks exactly like the intro to the show so like yes clear clear uh, visual reference.
0: And so through the through the course of the episode Hilda, you know, she she meets the prime minister, she looks for the the king or the, you know, some other high diplomat and at some point someone has a very large orange cat and it turns out that the cat is pregnant and expecting and so she sort of like holds the cat hostage in her hair.
1: So to be clear, it's an it's an it's a large cat for an elf-sized individual. It's, it's like an elf cat. So it's large in relation to the size that you would expect an elf cat to be, but for a human cat, it's very small.
0: So she she sort of holds this cat hostage in her hair until she gets whatever, whatever resolve. And then when she hands the cat back, it's sort of very discreetly deflated, and no one seems to notice. And <laughs> we find out later that she has... Um, Knittens, right, in her hair, and uh, and this is actually something that Kayla, our daughter, has picked up on. And when I was doing like reading bedtime books and stuff last night, she was she had made a comment like, "Oh, my head itches. I have knittens," and I was like, "Don't say that at school." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it
1: is funny though. How like again back to the normalization of the supernatural in in Hilda. Her mother is like, "Oh, you have knittens—these tiny little cat creatures that live in your hair," and she picks them out with tweezers. And it's like, "There, I think I got all of them." Um, and it's it's brought back up again later, where like someone else gets, you know, a case of knittens. Uh, and I, I just I, I love how like it's not treated as remarkable that there's these tiny cats, and her mom doesn't think it's weird. She's just like, oh, "Okay,"
0: or gross. She doesn't think it's gross either. That's true, actually. Right? Yeah,
1: that's a really good point. So the other thing so the other thing I like about this uh this particular episode, did you notice how much agency Hilda has as a character? like her mom is really is around and is worried about the situation from an adult point of view, but in a very like penny on inspector gadget type way, like Hilda takes it upon herself to solve the situation
0: I mean. Uh she's a latchkey kid, right? Like you gotta learn how to problem solve and et cetera some things on your own um when your mom's not around
1: uh so by the end of the the episode, uh we won't really say exactly what happens, but the conclusion is that Hilda and her mom wind up having to move to to the city anyway they they resolve the plot of the giants and the elves. Fortunately, her new friend Alfer, the elf, comes with her, uh, and also her deer fox, Twig, also comes with her, and then the rest of the show really takes place, for the most part, in the city of Trollberg. I read I read an interview with Luke Pearson in the Comics Journal, uh, and he made the point that he didn't want the show—he he didn't want the comics to stay in the wilderness, because Hilda was already very familiar with— with the wilderness, and she already knew the ins and outs of it and the area around her house. And so for the plot to remain interesting, he had to move her and the setting to a new location that she wasn't as familiar with, so that kind of you could be discovering it with her. And so after the second episode, it's for the most part in Trollberg where, you know, and it starts off this very like oh, I don't want to move to the city, fish out of water type of story where she's having to learn the ins and outs of, of living in the city and navigating, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the city.
0: Um, and the, the so the five-letter word to describe episode three is Raven. Um, this is my personal favorite episode of the first season. Hilda encounters a group of kids that everything's is, you know, seemingly hunky dory. They're playing games, but she doesn't really understand yeah. how to play the games. They're and doing, the like, kids are just assuming that she she knows what's up. Um and yeah, she they're doesn't. they're
1: playing like we used to call it like knock knock zoom zoom where you run up and knock on a door and then and then run away. And she tries to do it and just kind of knocks on the door and then stays there and winds up having, like, a nice, polite conversation with an older woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, and it, it becomes clear uh, over time that these kids are, like, kind of like bad kids. They're not, like, yeah. villainous, but they're not good. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit with you, Denise, about the way that villainy or or antagonists are depicted in hilda cuz i feel like it's very different from a traditional mm. children's show.
0: Uh general yeah, i do feel like that. So she so this group of kids like after a while it it turns out that they're collecting rocks and hilda just sort of assumes that they're going to like skip the rocks or play some kind of rock game and then it turns out that they're throwing the rocks at birds. And so then she's like she's you know taking up for the birds and she's saying like what are you doing stop doing that that's not nice um yeah and
1: i I love that she stands up for herself and like puts it And this happens multiple times throughout the series that she like puts her foot down like no mm -hmm. this is wrong like this shouldn't be happening and most kids shows i've noticed don't
0: take a stand don't
1: take a stand in that way the characters have to do the bad thing and then they learn from someone else and i love back to that notion of like Hilda is a good person in the way that a child doesn't have anything driving them to be bad. They might not understand that they're they're doing something mean, but they have, a lot of times, I feel like, this inbuilt sense of goodness. Yeah. Like, our three-year-old always wants to share food if she sees <laughs> someone isn't eating and she has food. She'll say, do you want a piece? And just just share, just because that's just, like, most kids, in my experience, are are like that they're just generally nice they don't know when they're being mean by accident but they're generally nice and so i loved that she was like no this is this is not right like we shouldn't be doing this and she she puts her foot down and and takes a stand and Mm -hmm. i I love that i cannot emphasize enough how much i love that
0: yeah and so so um, one of the birds gets injured, you know, so now her new mission is that she's going to take care of this bird. And then later in the episode, the one of the kids that was throwing the rocks sort of comes to the realization of that that was a bad thing to do.
1: If you look at a show like Paw Patrol, and I feel like we're using Paw Patrol all the time right now because it's the, the main show in the rotation, the villainous characters in Paw Patrol, there's... Uh S- sweetie, the kind of that like villainous princess dog. And then there's uh Mayor Humperdink, is that Humdinger. Mayor Humdinger, thank you, is just always a villain and never learns anything, never improves, doesn't really have any kind of like an inner life. Um
0: Spoiler, I'm gonna post a graphic in the secret <laughs> listeners group that shows why Mayor Humdinger is actually The best.
1: (laughs) We'll have we'll have to see about that because I don't I don't know that I'm on board with this (laughs) this interpretation. Um, But yeah, so like the the bad kids in Hilda are bad in the way that bad kids are quote unquote bad. Like they're not evil people. They're just kind of they're they're acting out and they're being cruel, but. The next time that Hilda encounters them, and they do briefly come back in the show, they're not actually being cruel. The next time that she encounters them, and you see them, and you're like, oh right. no, like these, these kids are going to be bad again, and they're really not. They're just like they're just kids. They were being they were being thoughtlessly cruel. Right. And most of the antagonists in the show are they might be being cruel, but it very much comes across as like that's just an aspect of their character. That's not like their Cobra Commander who's always evil.
0: Right. So, so Hilda takes the injured bird back to her house because she's discovered that the bird can talk. Right. Um, but he, he's injured, so he can't really fly. And he also can't remember who he is. But he, he feels like he's important. Right. And because he feels like that, Hilda knows he must be right. And so she wants to help him. I really love that when the mom discovers that there's a bird in her in Hilda's room she just is like oh there's a bird shoo shoo get outside uh it was just a very like comedic scene for me
1: i loved how she just kind of rolled with it like this is clearly something that hilda would do <laughs> and she even she comments on that that like you you make friends with all these creatures try to make friends with some some some, some other kids some some humans and so it's clear that like part of her character is just like yeah she probably would bring you know an injured bird inside this probably isn't the first time that it's that it's happened and her mom her mom when she realizes later in the episode what she did is kind of like aghast like oh no like i let a talking bird outside that you know that poor she clearly like feels feels bad about it
0: yeah Oh, I also just thought, like, she was very calm. Like, if I if I came into the house and there was a wild bird in, I wouldn't know, like, how to catch it or, like, how to... She was so calm and cool and collected. And, you know, another notch on the parenting goals post for mom.
1: Having to, to, to get a talking bird outside. <laughs> in,
0: in a calm and efficient <laughs> manner.
1: So the the rest of the episode really just kind of follows... Hilda and the bird and Alpher as they try to figure out who the bird actually is and help the bird get his memory back. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the background, there's like a parade that's mm-hmm. getting set up for the great raven, who is this like mythical creature that is the, the patron of the town.
0: And, you know, the parade and the fireworks and all that are are exciting in itself, but there's a special moment when mom pulls Hilda aside and she takes her to a secret little spot where they can oh, yeah. watch. And it's just the two of them. And it's very nice and special. And it just sort of reminded me that you can make almost anything be something that's just a little extra special by putting that you know extra attention or mm-hmm. emphasis or whatever. And I think probably maybe that's part of why I got so like fanatic this summer about the library (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah like
1: like you can you can convey meaning to a to a place just by like being like this is a special place this is Mm -hmm. this was special to me and kids are very into that and they pick up on like the emotions that you are experiencing i feel like kids are like little empaths like And,
0: and you're creating a memory yeah right so um so there's probably just like a few of the reasons we've talked about why this is my favorite episode.
1: There's one other really sweet parenting moment. And it's very minor. Um, Hilda by this point has determined or believes that the bird is actually unsurprisingly the, the great Raven, the, the patron of the town and has just lost his memory. And as she discovers this, one of the bad kids has the Raven in a, in a bird cage and drops him accidentally into the river and Hilda immediately jumps in to save the bird and just kind of goes under the water and they show her mom just like immediately starts like rolling up her sleeves and is like, I'm going to go in after her. And she she winds up not having to because the, the raven like comes back into his powers and like triumphantly returns in, in his full giant form. Um But I, I loved that, again, her mom was like, I need to help my child, this is go time, this is happening right now. Like, no panic, just like, all right, this is what needs to be done. So it's, I love the depiction of parenting in general in this show. Yeah. So really the first three episodes are like establishing what the setting of the show is going to be and how it's going to, to go. So, and then the rest of the season is really like different very lightly serialized adventures. For the most part, each episode stands on its own. There is kind of like a couple through points that the show gradually teases out as mm-hmm. it goes on. But each episode is like its own adventure. There's usually there's pretty much always some lightly supernatural element to it. It's just it's just a real tr- treat. And like mm-hmm. I, I would yeah. say,
0: it's heartwarming. It's
1: heartwarming. It's one wonder- like our, our like I said, our our two year old loved it. Um, even like the scary parts. And it does get like pretty scary at times.
0: So we're actually going to send this podcast to Netflix and say that we were inspiring parents to watch their TV show. No, that's a joke. That's like... No, no, not at all. Not I- <laughs> honestly, honestly, I-, I desperately,
1: if anyone who is involved in the writing or creation or production of Hilda happens to hear this, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to get someone on the show as a guest because yes. I would love to discuss a ton of stuff with someone from the creative team behind the graphic novel or the show. It's Um, so
0: well done. It's, yeah, it's really, truly well done. And if you haven't seen it, I hope that uh, our praise has inspired you to give it a shot.
1: So, I mean, obviously we could go on and on and on about how much we love this show. I feel like there's a few things that don't become apparent until later episodes after the ones that we've kind of recapped here that I really love um, and that we really love as, as a family. There's, again, there's the use of like grown up music. Also, like some bands that we've really gotten into. Mm-hmm. There's one called uh, Kishibashi that we were familiar with. Already and their music, I was really astonished when it was in the show, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's that band that like I thought nobody knew about." Um, there's a band called Frankie Cosmo, I believe. That's that's really delightful. There's a couple people with like funny Scandinavian names that I can't well, say properly. And
0: and even like the the music recognition because we built a we built a Spotify playlist inspired by the type of music from this movie and as or from this show, and as soon as one of the songs come on. Uh, you can hear our daughter going, "Oh, it's Hilda! It's Hilda!" Yeah. So. Uh,
1: so, something else I wanted to make sure I mentioned because I remember Denise, you recommended the show to a friend, and they said that their their kid was a little bit scared by some of it. That some of it was like a little bit too intense, and and so I, I do want to mention that there are later episodes that are like legitimately scary. Like this is a kids' show, but there are. Um, yeah. Like pretty intense moments. There's one that's all about nightmares, and there's no real violence in the show or anything, but like it's emotionally scary, some of the stuff that happens. There's intense moments. There's moments where there's a real element of danger in the show that kids' media, even like media for older kids, normally doesn't have, where you are legitimately not sure what's going to happen. And, you know, it, it being a kid's show, it is all resolved in a pretty friendly family appropriate way, but it's not like, I feel like most kids shows you you can just kind of guess what's, what's going to happen. Like, Oh, they're going to be saved at the last minute. Oh yeah. Um, but because so many of the antagonists turn out to actually be just misunderstood. Like a lot of times there is no being saved. It's just coming to grips with the thing that, that scared you. Um, and so like, again our our two-year-old was extremely into the show wasn't scared by by any of it although now that she's a little older she is. she was she's actually a little bit more scared of some of the stuff now that she's three than when she was two. Um, there are a couple episodes that are are, are pretty intense. Mm-hmm. there's some genuinely like sad moments too where like people lose things or express that they are sad. One of the themes is Hilda kind of coming to accept that the city is her new home. And she experiences like a very real sense of loss for where she used to live. And-, and
0: as an as an adult and a transplant, that sort of like homesick feeling is familiar. Right? So yeah, totally. so I can relate to it as well as I'm sure our daughter can relate to it because of you know, in a in a smaller sense, you know, she might feel that way when, you know, when she's at school.
1: Uh, something else that I love is that Hilda herself and her friends—none of them are actually perfect. There's conflicts that happen between Hilda and her friends where they're both just kind of—they're all just kind of being stubborn with each other, mm-hmm. and they're throwing around accusations like kids do when kids, you know, bicker amongst themselves. Uh, and I, I love that the show doesn't shy away from that. And some of them actually carry over episodes. Like they'll have a fight at in the end of one episode, and they're still. Like not talking to each other at the beginning of the next episode. There's a very like dynamic relationship that she has with uh with the other characters in the show. It's just the the whole thing is so wonderful. The art is wonderful. The music is wonderful. The writing is wonderful. Um, I I, I don't know. I absolutely cannot wait for this show to to come back. Um, I'm glad that there's there's additional comics that weren't yet adapted mm-hmm. for season one that they are going to be able to adapt.
0: And I actually I wonder if. If it's just Hilda and her mother or if it's, like, more people in Cholburg. But they're clearly vegetarians because they eat earth or maybe they just like vegetables. But I like the fact that they eat cucumber sandwiches because I'm going to totally use that to try and feed our kid cucumbers. Oh, yes. Yes. Because right now we... uh, Spoiler... Uh, she had a ham sandwich for dinner because guess what? Ponyo loves ham. <laughs> Ponyo is a Miyazaki film that she quite likes. So I'm totally gonna use the whole like, oh, but you know what? Hilda loves cucumbers.
1: So. Yes, parenting. Parenting is like forty percent love, sixty percent like friendly manipulation. Um, being like, well, you know, this character that you like does this. So, yeah, there's definitely some stuff that we've that we've been able to leverage. And honestly, even just the sense of exploration. Like, I have definitely told mm-hmm. our three year old, like, do you want to go on an adventure? Like, like in the forests, like where Hilda lives, and she'll she'll say, like, oh, are are there giants? Are there going to or- be? Do
0: you, do you think we'll f- we'll see Alpha?
1: That's right. That's right. Oh yeah, we we went through a whole thing for a while where um, she would hold her hand out and say like, "Alpher is is in my hand. The invisible elf is is in my hand." Um, and we had like pantomime like handing him back and, back and forth, forth and like tucking him in and stuff. So, um, yeah, like like like, did he said before? Watch this show. It's so good. It's been nominated for a couple of awards, which I was really excited about it's it's so good like obviously Mm -hmm. obviously it's building on influences that existed beforehand like like Adventure Time and and, uh, Steven Universe both feel like like big inspirations to to some extent or another um also honestly like there's I feel like there's elements of like indie video games that it feels like it it drew upon a bit and just the kind of like the indie comic scene in general um it's so good uh just just Netflix please keep making this show forever there were two other things real quick I wanted to mention as we're wrapping up the show. Uh, we are now, as of this moment, on Google Play. And by the time that this episode is out, we should hopefully be on iTunes as well, which I know should make the show a lot easier to find. Um, so we just wanted to thank once again the people who have listened so far and have gone out of their way to find the RSS feed on SoundCloud and, you know, add it and listen to it. Hopefully it should be easier to, to see in the future. And then the other thing is if you want to send us suggestions or just ask us some questions or you have uh, some stuff that we should watch or some stuff that we shouldn't watch, you can email us at parentspodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ParentsPod. So hope to see you on those various types of media. And we will be back next week. So thank you so much. Good night, everyone. Cheers. actually the plot of the first graphic novel condensed into like 5 or 6 minutes we need the dog we need to get a dog sitter for our podcast a dog white a dog sitter for our podcast